What was your big break? I don't know if it's wrong on my end, but like, I feel like I, I, I'm still looking for that big break. It's, 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 I don't know if it's a bad thing or if it's me just, it's not greediness at all, but I feel like there's life is just, you know, the, the sky's the limit. So you're always continually trying to be better and, and grow. Um, as far as like the actual restaurant goes, I've always enjoyed it, man. I enjoyed it from selling tacos on the street. Like I love being there, you know, and serving people and, and just enjoying people's um, experience eating my food to when I, to now that I have all these restaurants and do like stuff on TV. Sometimes I enjoy every bit of it, man. The trials, the difficult times, the break, it's like a small little breaks that I, that I, I small little victories that, that I really enjoy, man. Yeah. The first guy that purchased my taco to me, like, dude, he liked it. And, and he came back the next day. And that was a big break for me already. Before we get started today, I would be remiss if I did not thank our partners over at Proper Creative. Proper Creative is a production-on-demand company, and they monetize e-commerce platforms. They have a marketing powerhouse team from graphic designers, web development, photographers, videographers, market analysis, digital marketing strategists, and of course, social media experts. They help companies from development of content and products to the execution of digital strategies for e-commerce. They provide both full service and a la carte services for businesses that sell direct to the consumers. For me today, I am wearing a proper creative branded shirt. This is the Level Up Podcast shirt. You can get it. And uh, this is something that we send to all of our guests that come on our show. Our partners send them a gift package, and it's brought to you by Proper Creative. Thank you so much. You can follow them on social media, Instagram primarily, at P-R-O-P-R Creative. Again, they're an L.A.-based company, so they do things a little bit cooler than most. They spell proper, P-R-O-P-R Creative. Follow them on social media, Instagram, and give a shout-out. Thank you so much, again, to our brand partners, Proper Creative. Welcome to another week of Level Up. I am Matt Rogers, your host, and as always here with me is our co-EP engineer, Eli Adelman. How you doing? Dude, I'm great. Are you great? I'm doing great, man. It's good. I was out of town for six days. So Yeah, you were. How did your wife Liz feel about that? Because you're with <laughs> the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders Dude, doing not, a promo. Not only that, man, it was like the day I left, the day after the kids got like really sick. So Like was, Rona sick? Or just no, like no, cold? no. Just like, you know, stomach stuff. Stomach stuff. Yeah. So I was like, so you're sorry to miss that. <laughs> you're out filming like basically the hottest cheerleaders on the planet, Dude. the Dallas Cowboys, and, and she's at home stuck changing at home with poop. Yeah, and puke, all over the puke and everything. Yeah, it was. I was like, sorry, baby. I wish you I was know, there to help, but not really. Liz, if you're listening, Liz Adelman, we love you. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful yes, wife. She's want, the greatest. Do you want to give a public shout yeah, out? Yeah. Oh, my my wife is incredible. Like on just a human being level, but also she's like deals with my malarkey right. <laughs> in my schedule and you know Your kids malarkey literally kid, yeah yeah right and then yours so, i actually don't know what malarkey is but i know it's something that you say malarkey is a word for poop oh is it yeah but i don't know like what the derivative is where it comes from oh okay well there um, you go. so dude, I, how was it you were in dallas you were working dude, with the cowboy cheerleaders it was awesome man like it was we were working right there in the stadium the, the field was like 10 yards away from where we were so we had lunch on the field um it was great, but this great organization and for sure. It was really cool just to see like get into that whole world and just the level of excellence they operate at and it's it was cool. When yeah. is Jerry Jones coming on level up the podcast? I think he did said uh, I think he said next week he's on next week. Yeah. That's <laughs> but when you were there, you did not send any pictures to your wife as she was I changing sent, I sent her a couple pictures of the studio. Bad move. We okay. Just she was the okay. studio, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was, it was good. Not like, hey babe, look at how great my work is today. <laughs> right. <laughs> I really enjoy this shot. I really this, captured the moment. Right. You didn't I really, do none of that. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no? No, no. Yeah. Well, Stay you know what? I got even a sexier guest today. You're As right. always, the one thing I'm most proud of on this show, like we always say, is our guest. And I will just say this. This is our first culinary chef we've ever had on the show. And to be honest, I don't know if it gets quite bigger than this. This is one of the biggest chefs on the planet right now. Everyone, when you hear this, you are going to know him. He is dubbed the Taco King. We have the one and only Estras Ochoa, known as the Taco King. He's the executive chef of 11 Westside. He started his culinary journey, actually, and we're going to get into this, out of the back of his truck. 
So I don't know what that looks like. I cannot wait to hear that story. And people just loved it. And he absolutely blew up. And from there, he now, how about this? He took it from the back of his truck and he now has four international restaurants that he oversees. And some of his brands that he's creating, like not only is he a brand, but he's also creating brands within his brand. He's got BuzzFeed Tasty. This is all Instagram profiles that I'm looking at right now that when I, when I clicked on BuzzFeed Tasty, 80 people that I follow follow BuzzFeed Tasty. And I didn't even know that until I just clicked on it. So that's big. He owns Mexicali Taco, Salazar Frogtown, of course, 11 West Side in Hong Kong, the Wilshire Bar, West Side, uh, am I saying that right, uh, Estras, Taqueria? Taqueria. Taqueria. Forgive my whiteness. I'm so sorry. Uh, also, Reunion 19 ATX, and then he's got a new concept, OBP, that we're going to talk about. The one and only, Estras Ochoa. <laughs> and how are you so for what those an of you, intro man thank you dude, so much bro <laughs> i'm so pumped that you're here i mean my background in entertainment i've been with chefs before but like i met you recently through my buddy sean kilty is is that your brother-in-law uh kind of uh he's uh married to my wife's cousin so you know we're we're all family bro well, let him let him claim it because when someone can claim you as family, it it instantly <laughs> makes them cooler. So, I thought I was a cool one by calling him a cousin, bro. Dude, gem of a guy, huh? Look at here's how it works. I was the best man in his wedding. You are now kind of his brother in law. So I'm gonna say you're my brother in law. <laughs> We're related, bro. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you are the bomb. For those of you listening on uh, Apple or Spotify, what you can't see is Estras has a Street Fighter arcade game right behind him. That's his. I mean, is that your jam? You're speaking uh, of my childhood now. This is it. When I when I get put on timeout, bro, I spend my hours right here, bro. <laughs> so, and then you got the picture of the uh, Bugatti in your background. Do you own a Bugatti yet? Uh, in my dreams, I do. I own two in my dreams. Well, you're gonna get them. I mean, dude. <laughs> You're blowing up. We're going to talk about your story. But right now, where are you at right now? You're in Utah, right? So I just moved to Utah. I just moved to Utah four months ago. Um, I'm new to this place. I'm excited. I'm loving it. It's in the middle of winter. Um, so far, it's been great, man. I, I can't complain about the move. Are you the only Hispanic in Utah right now? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was. No, not at all, man. Really? A lot of my brothers are up in here. Brothers and sisters. All right. So did you? So do you have family there? I do. All my siblings live here. They moved really? in uh, from the last six years ago, one right after another. I'm the last one to move here. No way. Yeah, man. <laughs> so, like, the golden child comes home. I bet you they are fired up that you came home, huh? <laughs> Someone gets to cook, huh? They're happy. <laughs> Seriously. So, okay, how many brothers and sisters and, you know, what are we talking about? And then do you still have your parents as well? Are they still around? Yeah, so uh, it's four of us. It's four, four of us, two boys, two girls in the family. I'm the second oldest um it's my sister rami myself my little sister minerva and my little brother zelf and uh we're two years apart from the first two and then my parents decided to do it all over again 10 years later so another set of two oh yeah man they they took a eight ten ten now a ten year break and then they wanted to do it all over again see that's because you gave them some of your magic tacos and and daddy got fertile again and just said let's do it again (laughs) right I mean, I, I've heard that your tacos are an aphrodisiac. I'm just going to throw that out there. That's exactly right, man. Like, <laughs> seriously. I mean, you are the taco king. Tell me, like, how did that start? Because I attributed with with you, like, in, in Southern California, because I know when I went back there, I mean, I know of your restaurants down there. And then, of course, all my friends know you. But I didn't know, like, Utah and then Hong Kong. I didn't know any of that. Tell, Take me back. Like to the beginning, where did you grow up and what was it like? Because you said brothers and sisters. Are you the only chef in the house? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I was born in Mexico City back in 1981, a long time ago. Um, I was there till I was six years old. My mom was a nurse. My father was an accountant for a supermarket uh, chain. Um, my mom, she had issues with asthma. So it was recommended that we moved up. We moved out of this, out of the city. It was big uh, pollution there in, in Mexico yeah. City, unfortunately. But we moved up north to Mexicali, which is a border town and uh, south of two hours east of San Diego, right in next to Calexico, 40 minutes before you get to Arizona in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere. 
We had an ant that lived there. Um, it's super high. You're hitting 120s on average in the summer. Uh, and it's in the agriculture community. There's not, there's not a lot of opportunities, a lot of factories. We were there for two years and we crossed the border onto the American side, literally the other side of the wall. And that's where I really went to school in. Um, but we grew up with both cultures, both borders, bilingual. Um, yeah, man, it was, it was the best of both worlds. We had the best tacos on the other side of the border and amazing burgers on the other side. And it was, it was good, man. It was humble. It was, uh, it's a very, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a community of struggle, man. Uh, not a lot of opportunities. If you, uh, people aspire to become a school teacher, uh, a border patrol agent, a correctional officer, maybe in the medical field. And that's about it, man. There's not a lot of opportunities. It's very, very tough. So did you know at it? Like when were you like the other kids, like you wanted to be a police officer or a teacher, or did you know at a young age, like, nah, dude, I'm going to sling these tacos. Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do something else, but no, it wasn't for me, man. I, I like in the middle of high school, I knew I wanted to get away and not do like the traditional thing of just, you know, staying in the Valley, marrying a local, a local girl from the Valley and just do the same routine. Um, again, we're, we're, we were from there. We came from Mexico city, which is a big city, right? It's a, it's a New York of, of Latin America. So we always had that hustle and that mentality, my family and I. So, you know, when I graduated from high school, I, I wanted to become a fashion designer. I wanted to, I, I loved fashion. I loved art. Um, I loved style. So I, I graduated from high school and I moved to Washington to serve a two-year mission for my church. What, what high school did you go to? Calexico High School, the only high school in, in town, just one high school population of my, of my, of my, the city I grew up in was probably about 40,000. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, and you moved to Washington to go on your mission because you're, you're Mormon, correct? Correct. Yes, I am. Okay. Uh, so am. tell me about that and forgive my ignorance, but most of my Hispanic friends are either Christian or Catholic. Correct. You are the only Hispanic Mormon I've ever heard of in my life was that common down where you lived you know what it's more common than you think it's more common than you think uh there's a lot of members of the church in mexico i would say if i'm not mistaken there's uh it's probably like the second country with the most uh members of the church outside of the united states is mexico and so is latin america a lot of spanish-speaking uh, members of the church um yeah my mom was baptized when she was a teenager in mexico city by two missionaries knocked on her door and I was born in the church already. So I've been a member all my life. I had no idea. Eli, you're, sh you're nodding your head. Yes. Did you know that? No, or? I didn't know that. That was, that was new for me. I didn't know that yeah. at all. Yeah. So at a young age, you, you know, you knew the Lord, right? I mean, it, it was very important to you. You've carried on the tradition of your family. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was fortunate enough to be raised by a good family. Mom and dad were always there. Uh, my, my father was a bishop when he was young in the church and he he had positions of leadership. Um, and yeah, like I, I, I was very fortunate, man. Like I, no swearing in the house. My, I never saw my dad drink or smoke or the only thing that we had that that's, that wasn't like <laughs> the most Mormon, like we watch rated R movies sometimes, you know? Oh my gosh. I know. Right. <laughs> Outside of that, we were pretty clean, man. What's your favorite movie of all time? Um, that's a tough one, man. Indiana Jones, uh, Forrest Gump, the kite <laughs> yeah. runner. What else? Uh, a, a little boy. Yeah. That makes me cry every time, man. Look at you. So movies you that make heart. me cry. Those are the moves I love. So you go to Washington State, right, for your mission? Correct. Which is crazy. I lived in Seattle. I'm an ex-Husky. I was a football player. Where oh, did no you, way, Where man. did you live? One of my so, best friends is a Husky. Yeah, baby. See, now we're best friends. We're brother-in-laws and best friends. This was meant to be. <laughs> when you go on your mission, like, what's what's that like? Is it already set up that you know you're going to stay in this family and that? or And are you riding a bike? Are you wearing the white shirt with the tie? Like, is that how you're getting down? <laughs> the white shirt and tie, that's a, that's, a, that's a must, no matter where you're going. Right. Um. So I got served. I, I got called to serve in Washington. I wanted to serve on this exotic mission, of course, like every other missionary, right? So when I opened my mission call, it's a big exciting, exciting moment. Uh, it said Washington Spanish speaking, and that threw me off. I didn't know there was a lot of Spanish speakers in Washington. Uh, when I arrived there, there's a lot of people from from Michoacan, Jalisco. Um, so most of my areas were Spanish speaking. So I had a car. I didn't have a, a bicycle to cover more ground. Um, I, I, you arrive there, you're set with a new missionary who's going to be your trainer. You have no idea who this is. My first trainer was, a 
missionary that was Navajo. He was from New Mexico. So I learned a lot about his culture, a lot about who he was. A lot of times we didn't get along. We hated each other. But really? We learned. Oh, yeah, man. That's It's common. But those are the trials. And I'm, we'll get into it, I'm sure. But those are the things that, that really taught me about, about people and how to love uh, human beings. And by the end of the transfer, you could be with this person for six weeks to six months. You end up loving this person, man. And you learn how to love and be humble about it and how to see, you know, eye to eye on a lot of things that you wouldn't normally. Does that come from life experiences or does that come from the church or does it come from the Lord himself? I think it's a little bit of, of all, all three, man. I think all three, um, you know, if, if I'm a man of faith, I think you're as well. Uh, a lot of it has to do with prayer and just uh, being submissive, man, being humble and just give yourself to the Lord and, hey, this is the plan. And all right, it's, it's, your, it's your ball game, you know, so let me tell me what to do and I'll do it. And that mentality helps you overpass a lot of things, you know, at my experience. Right. Did you, so did you know in Washington when you were on your mission, did you know that you wanted to cook? Did you know that, you know, you had the culinary bug as they say, or did you still want to uh, do fashion and travel around the world? So I, I, I wanted to do fashion heavily before I served my mission. I was already uh, registering to the art Institute in LA. So as soon as I finished my mission, I already had a, a game plan going for me. Um, but in my mission, I had the first experience where I, where I, where I saw that I could possibly do a, have a plan B, which was food. So I got transferred to this area on my mission in the middle of nowhere. It was called Cleelum, Washington. I don't know if you heard of it. Um, it's population, maybe a thousand, two thousand in the mountains, uh, snow up to my knees. I got transferred in the middle of winter coming from Baja, man, 120 degree yeah, weather. It was, right? it was brutal, man. Knocking Holy on doors, smokes. you know, snow up to my knees. Um, but I, people were excited that this Mexican missionary got transferred into a super white area, right? So <laughs> right? all the members were like, whoa, like, you're so exotic. Like, Elder Ochoa, like, we got to <laughs> take you to the best Mexican restaurant in town, which is only one. Right. And uh, I went, and it was really bad, as you can probably For guess. Sure. Yeah? I live in Tennessee, and people are trying to do Mexican over here. It's not great. We need you here. <laughs> we need you. Come, come to Tennessee. All right, go. So keep going. So you ate it and you're like, this isn't great. This is white people, Mexican. It's not real Mexican. Yes. You know the drill. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> and then so what? So you're like, I, I got to do this better or what? Exactly. I offered, you know what? I'm going to show you guys what real Mexican food is. Um, yeah. And I grew up cooking here and there, you know, with my mom and dad on the weekends, carne asada, ceviches, whatnot. Um, and I did. I set it up. Uh we got invited to dinner. The the sister, she bought all this stuff I, I on the list that I gave her. And then I cooked a, a, a fabulous meal. They were blown away. The word got out in the church and the congregation. So I had all these ladies signing up to feed us. And, and I was cooking dinners everywhere, left and right in that area. So can and, you, uh, this is going to sound a weird question. I don't know how else to say it, so I'll just say it. Sure. Do you have to, at that time, do you have to go to a, a Mexican market to get the right Mexican spices or could you just buy it at an Albertsons or a Kroger at the time? Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, can you take, you know, this, these normal watered down groceries and actually make it a good authentic Mexican taco? You can, you can. Um, and, and I'll, we'll get into that as well. Like when I opened the restaurants in the other countries, I had, that was my biggest challenge, but I did, I went to the local Ralph's, um, and you know, most of them have jalapenos, even though it's not, a, it's not too exotic, sure. uh, the, the simple things you could find. And I just kind of made it work with that. And again, these people, they don't know a lot about Mexican food. So the simple things, it was already a big deal for them, no? Yeah. So that so that night, you just rocked everybody's socks off and they're like, it's that good? You got to do something with this or what? Yeah. And that's what my, my companion and everybody was like, wow, dude, like your food is great, man. And that's what I kind of like put on the back burner. If fashion doesn't work, maybe one day I could cook for a living. And it was always there. So to hear people praise you for your cooking had to feel good, trigger something inside of you to where like, okay, this is, this might be my thing. Exactly. Exactly. And this is what in the mid nineties or early nineties? No, <laughs> no, I'm not that old man. This is uh, in 2002. Oh snap. Yeah. Man. That's not long. Well, cause I knew you were born in 80. So I figured in your you know late teens, you were probably on the mission, but yeah. So early two thousands. Cause you're only 39 right now, right? That's correct. 39. Yeah. 
All right, so early 2000s, and then you go back to California to be a designer? Correct. So then I moved to LA. I, I finished my mission. Um, I, I learned so many things, but I changed completely. I grew up from being a teenager, and at 19, they drove me to, I felt like I was in my 30s, man. The discipline we learned on the mission, it helped me so much in so many ways. So I finished my mission. I was home for two months, uh, just hanging out with my family. My mom had saved up uh, at the time. She said, okay, son, here's a thousand dollars. This is all the money I have and good luck in LA. I had to make it work with that, with a thousand dollars of find a place to stay, uh, food. They bought me an old car and that's where the journey began, man. Okay, so this is the stuff that fascinates me because so many people out there have a dream, have a desire to do something that have most of them, and I'm going to even say 99% of them, have right now more than you had at that point. And then now you are the taco king and you've bred this brand and people make so many excuses. Well, I don't have this. I don't have that. Like, dude, you had a thousand dollars, a beat up car and no help. What happened? What's the difference between you and all the other crybabies out there that are still waiting for like something to show up and they need to just really go out and they need to show up? Correct. Oh, man. You know, I, I think it's a mixture of so many things. Now, looking back at it, a lot of it was just me being naive um, and also just being, uh, just being adventurous, being excited, being carefree. You know, at that age, you have I had nothing to lose. You know, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I didn't have responsibilities. I just had a dream and I was going to do whatever it was to try to achieve that dream. Um, I moved to L.A. I didn't have any friends. I was excited to move to a big city and it was L.A. was a big deal. You know, it still is coming from that small town, coming from my mission, small towns, uh, knocking on doors, moving to L.A., studying fashion design, um, being introduced to so many cultures and nationalities and, and customs. For me, it was like I went to another planet, man. And I was I wanted to soak it all in. I was so excited about it. And that mentality just carried me on to to just making friends, uh, meeting people, opening doors. A lot of it had to do with the mentality. For sure. So let me, so you got a thousand bucks. You got a car. So like, let's just say at, at the end of month one, roughly, how much money do you have? Are you broke? No, no, no. I was, I was super careful. I didn't have any debt. So I, I didn't have a car payment. So literally like I would just spend a couple bucks just to eat here and there. Um, yeah, like, what do you, eat? Do, you, do you eat? McDonald's? Do you eat Top Ramen? Like, what are you eating? I would eat, I would eat, I would eat a lot of fast food, man. I would eat a lot of McDonald's. You know, you're, you're 21 years old. It doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. You can eat junk food all day and you see, you're fine. No biggie. Are you eating that <laughs> stuff and you're like, this stuff sucks. I can make something so much better. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so like, when, when do you, so then what happens next? How do you get, like, what was your big break? So then, so then my first job was I worked for a, for a company that we distributed uh, auto parts for different shops throughout LA County and Orange County. So back then we had a Thomas guide and uh, I would just go to the warehouse and then I would get shipped everywhere throughout the, the city. And that's how I learned my ways around LA. We didn't have a smartphones back then. So I had a Thomas guide and I learned the freeways fast. That kind of helped me really good. And while I was working there, I was going to school full time as well. And then uh, I was getting paid minimum wage. It was barely enough to, to, to I, I rented a room for rent in, in some random house in Omani. Um, this Chinese man, you know, he, he was this old Chinese man. He rented like rooms in his house. And it was just so new to me living in, in a house with other strangers from different, from Asia right. and the smells. And it was, it was very, it was, it was cool, man. You know, it was exciting, yeah. but it was just very new to me, all this. So then uh, I worked, I got a, a part-time job at Victoria's Secret in, in the West Covina Mall. Oh, that snap. That's my hometown, bro. No way, man. <laughs> I grew up in Covina. I went to South Hills High School in West Covina. I know exactly what you're talking about. And you shopped at Victoria's Secret. Every All weekend. the time. <laughs> I would look at Victoria's Secret. Like you dream of the Bugatti behind you. I would dream of the Victoria's Secret poster in front of me. I'm just kidding. Uh, people say you you become what you read. If that was true, I would have became a woman. But anyway, um, <laughs> the, here's the thing that fascinates me about you compared to a lot of people. You, you had a dream 
to be uh, in fashion. You had a gift and a destiny to be in food, yet you were working in auto part distribution. But you had an unbelievable attitude. And that's why I say that because so many people are like, well, that's not my dream. That's not my destiny. So I'm not going to do that. No, dude. Sometimes you got to do what you don't want to do now so you can do what you really need to do and want to do later. And you're proof of that. I like how you said like, so I found my way around the city. Like you found that tool. It wasn't your desire. You probably didn't want to be there, but you used it to get something from it, which was getting your way around town, man. So I got I got mad respect. Okay, so you're at Victoria's Secret, and then what happens? I was at Victoria's Secret. Um, I was still going to school full time. You know, I was making money here and there, just barely getting by. And then I, I uh, in school, I overheard a girl talking to this other student about how she found like, like the coolest job in a casino in LA that paid twelve dollars an hour, which was a lot of money for for us back then. That had full benefits, and they paid for your meals, and you had to do is just gamble like the company's money. It was just like like bizarre, man. This is nuts. Is that called a cooler or a spotter or something? That's rad. Oh my gosh. All right, what happened? Right. So I'm like, dude, this is this is interesting. This is cool. So I asked her, you know, I'm sorry, I overheard you saying this. Um, do you know if they're hiring? I'm interested. And she gave me the 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 phone number I called. I went in for an interview, I got the job. I feel like I feel like I made it, man. I was like say coming from a small town, getting 12 bucks an hour. You know, it was a big what deal. What casino was, was it? I got a new car, you know, uh, I got a better, nicer apartment. What casino was it? And this was at Hustler Casino in Gardena. Look at you, bro. I'm a hustler, hustler, baby. All right. So you're gambling. And I mean, if you win, it didn't matter anyway, right? It was all the house. It was the company's money. Correct. Okay. We got paid. They had a bonus structure. They had a a lot of different perks, which is cool. It was fun. So I was there for about, uh, about, about, Five years, man. No, two years first. And then I, I, I learned how to play poker. So I started to become really, really good at poker. Right after work, I was to go play poker every single day till I quit get, I quit my job and I started playing poker for a living for about a year, a year and a half. That's not very Mormon of you. No, I know. Yeah, that's, <laughs> and that's, that's another story. What's, what's, what's going on here? Are, are your par- <laughs> Did you tell your parents or are we coming out with it right now? That was my, that was my, 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 my dark moment in life, man. <laughs> was, I'm honest, was it really? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the casino industry, it's very different. You know, yeah, it, it's not, sure. it's not ideal for Mormons or for people that are, you know, trying to be religious and, for sure. you know, but it doesn't happen overnight, right? You go there, you do your job and little by little you start, you know, getting used to these customs that that is part of your, your pretty much every day, you know, yeah. so little by little, I just, I stopped going to church, you know, um, and I, I, I just, I just got stuck in the casino industry, man, which wasn't easy. I got to a point where I hated my job and that's when I quit and I was becoming good at poker, but still the, the culture of the casino wasn't the best. And I knew it wasn't long-term and I just, sure. yeah, I wanted to catch a big break. That's when Chris Moneymaker won the world series of poker and everybody was playing poker. Everybody was catching big, big rides on, on poker tournaments. And, and I cashed on a few tournaments. I made a couple bucks here and there. I was able to live off of it for a year and a half. Did, so, you, ever, um, did you ever play in the World this? Series of Poker? I'm sorry, please. Did, did you ever play in the World Series of Poker? No, I was very close. I I, I worked my way up to, I had to win one more satellite to buy the oh. seat into a $10,000 seat, and that's the one I missed. And But I, I played other smaller tournaments, which were decent. There you go. But it's crazy how, like, like you said, like when you talk about from, you know, a spiritual aspect, it's like how the enemy tries to pull you down and keep you there when you have this unbelievable destiny on the other side. Did did God use that and bring someone across your path to pull you out? Or did you just make the decision like, dude, this is not me. I'm out. Like, how did that what did that look like? Yeah, uh, my wife, I met, I met my wife, um, uh, got married and I knew like that casino wasn't, wasn't what I wanted for my family. And for me, it changes people, you know, yeah. um, it changes people. And, and I had a baby on the way and I just knew that wasn't for me, man. I didn't want that for my family. So, so, uh, I, I went back to work in the casino, but it's different from when you're gambling. And I just took it as a customer service, kind of a job. The recession hit two years later. And that's so when is, I lost my job. And, and 08, 09, right? I'm sorry? So this is 2008, 2009? Yeah, that is correct. 2009, 2008, 2009, the recession hit. Uh, I lost my job in the casino. And that's when I said, okay, like I had, I don't know, 
two, three thousand dollars saved up from my poker bankroll that I just had on the side. And, and I said, you know what? I'm going to start my taco stand. No way. Yeah, man. So this is a, a point I want to put a little pin here. You are 27 years old right about this yeah. point, right? Exactly. 27 years old. So, dude, you're 27. You just got come out of a pretty dark place compared to where you're grown up. And you don't have a lot of money. You have a young wife. You have a baby on the way. And then now is where your destiny starts. Because if you look at you today, I mean, dude, you're going your second season of your Netflix show. You have, you know, four international restaurants. Like, it's like, dude, if the you today could go back and speak to the 27-year-old you, you probably would have never believed yourself never of where you ended years, up. Man. And that's so awesome how it works. And this is why I do this podcast. I can't wait to hear right now what happened next. So what happened next? <laughs> So, you know, I said, I was, I wasn't bummed out that I lost my job, man. I, I saw it as an opportunity, like, cause sometimes we get too comfortable. Yeah. Like the casino industry, like it's, it's not the best, but you have your solid paycheck. You're sad, you're comfortable, but you know, I, I drastic things have to happen in your life in order for you to open your eyes. That's what happened to me. Losing the job was, was the best thing that could happen to me because it pushed me to, to start this, this crazy dream of mine, yeah, to, to sell food. I didn't have the money to open up a restaurant. I didn't have proper training to go ask for a job in a, in a fine dining restaurant. I said, you know what? But I can make a taco and I can make a darn good taco. And based on what people in LA like, I think my taco could go toe-to-toe with any taco in the city. And, and I did that, man. That's exactly so what, what I okay. Did. So give me details. What does that look like? Like, do you have like a pickup truck and you just make tacos? Like, wh- what did you do? How do you? Because you don't you don't have enough money to buy a food truck, right? No, like, no way, make- no way. That was beyond the dream to have a real food truck. No, man. So I did my homework. You know, we used to eat tacos on the streets a lot. Everybody has eaten a taco from a street vendor in East LA, Boyle Heights, West Covina, you name it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did my homework. I went to a taco stand that was near my house. And I would, I would park like maybe a block away and I would sit there for two, three hours and I would do my homework. I said, okay, this guy sells the tacos for a dollar. So what is there a dollar? Everybody eats about five to six tacos. He's got like 15 people every half an hour. This guy's making this much. So then I did all my homework. I would write this stuff down, take notes. I would look for corners uh, in the area. How can I get a permit? I found out you can get a permit, it's illegal. So then I said, you know what? I'm gonna set up on another corner away from this guy it's a beautiful parking lot in downtown LA. I know how much meat costs now. I made my research for wholesale, for tomatoes, peppers, tortillas. And I know how much uh, my profits will be if I make this much. So I went to my parents and I told them about my crazy idea. My dad thought I was nuts. He says, you didn't go to move to LA. You didn't go to fashion school, which I graduated and I had a major in it and everything. And now you want to sell tacos on the street illegally? Like, you're crazy, son. What are you talking about? <laughs> right? <laughs> My mom, she's always on my side. She said, you know what? Just let him. Um, he's young. He's crazy. Just let him try it. If it doesn't work out, then he'll figure something out. So I did. I sold my Honda Civic and I used that car, that money. It was like, like $4,000 as a down payment on a Dodge Ram. And then I went to Costco and with the money that I had saved up, it was like 2,500 bucks. I, uh, I, I bought a grill. I bought the foldable tables and chairs. I bought like, uh, coolers and the first batch of of food so i set up i spent like i don't know 2500 bucks and i bought so much food i thought i was going to be slammed from day one and uh the first night i was there for like 10 hours man from like 7 p.m to like to like five in the morning because of the clubbing scene i wanted to get for that crowd yeah and i sold like 50 bucks man and i was destroyed i was devastated i was like dude i just spent 400 dollars in meats avocados salsas all this work to make 50 bucks um and i said you're not gonna try it again was it because you didn't no one knew who you were exactly it's 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 one thing i never thought about right i thought okay you just do a taco stand everybody in the world comes now man you have to you know gain uh people's confidence people have to try your food word of mouth it's got to take time it's not overnight i was a nobody right um i tried it again i made like 70 bucks the next night um but the thing that kept me going and 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 faith was in my product i knew it was good and everybody that went to the taco stand said it was the best tacos they ever had um reason being was that the taco at the time in la was just one style it was the the little tortillas yep 
corn, the white corn store-bought carne asada with salsa verde, roja, cilantro, onions. That's it. Yep. I remember that because that's what I grew up on. How were your tacos different from those? So the taco that I grew up in was very, very different. This is Mexicali style. This is Baja style. The tacos that we grew up on was uh, proper carne asada. It means that it's grilled on open flame as opposed to on a plancha, yeah? Yeah. Um, on a hot griddle. This is a proper carne asada. We marinate the steaks, grill them over charcoal, and then we chop it up on this, like, huge uh, tree trunk, like on this huge chopping block. And then we use corn tortilla, flour tortillas, and then you have a huge array of salsas or toppings from pickled onions, minced cabbage, uh, cilantro onion, four kinds of salsas, guacamole, the works. So that was a taco I brought to the game here in LA. It was a huge novelty at the time. No one was making these kinds of tacos. Um, so what, what's the game changer? Is it, is it cooking it on the open flame or is it chopping it on the tree stump? Like, Or is it all of it? It was all of it. It was it was people weren't used to seeing this here, you know. If you were to if you go to Tijuana or to Mexicali, we grew up on it. It's always been done the same way. But in LA at the time, no one was doing this proper kind of taco here. I was I was one of the first ones. So it blew people's minds. It's like, wow, what are these tacos? Like people that knew, they knew and they were so excited to finally see this kind of taco here. So that was a big novelty. Little by little, the food bloggers were very popular back then. Yelp was huge. So wait, but that 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 doesn't happen at this point. I mean, we're just coming off of you making seventy dollars on your second night from the back of your truck. Yeah, were you, were you doing that? Like, were you cooking it on an open flame or no? I was. I was the whole time from from the very first night I, I set up. I was doing the proper procedures every single way. No cutting corners. Um, yeah, uh, some bloggers started coming. They wrote uh, blogs about us, and then little by little, the crowd started building till till uh, we. We were on Yelp, number one on, on in the city of LA on Yelp, man. Over like Wait, fine dining you're restaurants. On, you're on Yelp from the back of your truck. <laughs> yeah, how is that hilarious. possible? Like, were you like proper taco? Were you like some, or were you just the taco guy on the corner of the street? We got to go check out. No, so I, I before I started this whole concept, I, I I had a vision in mind, and I even though I I, I had to start on the streets, I knew I didn't want to stay on the street forever. So I, I thought about a name, which was Mexicali Taco and Company. I went to a printing guy. I printed this huge magnet that I posted in front of my cart with a logo that I created. I, I designed by hand. Um, phone number. We had Twitter. So I put the Twitter logo and the menu. So I thought about all these little things. We had some T-shirts printed. Even though we were selling tacos on the streets illegally, like all the little, all the little details were there. And I made sure that that was important. The best part is you, you probably had the people who could have got you in trouble. Maybe the cops write you tickets. They're probably your customers. Right? They were. It's so, <laughs> they're so were, man. <laughs> later, later on, I found out the health department, which busts all the illegal street vendors, was a block away from my corner, man. It was hilarious. And it wasn't because you were so good? Like, they would just go eat and they're like, well, we don't want to mess what? with that guy. Looking back at it, yes. They, they knew... Some of the people that work for the health department, they ate there. Obviously, they didn't have their badge on or anything. Sure. Um, but later on, you know, it was so obvious. We were so popular. We were voted best tacos in L.A. in 2013. <laughs> came out on KTLA <laughs> Channel 5. Um, so it was a double-edged sword. It brought us a lot of customers and, and also, like, the health department. We couldn't, they couldn't ignore us. So that's when we got shut down two years and a half later. Oh, boo. I bet you people <laughs> were so mad. Well, okay, wait. Let me put a pin on it right there. So... This is super important for people out there that have an idea, a concept, and want to start their business. When did you make money from that stand? Because it sounds like you were just reinvesting back into your product, right? Yes, yes. That's How important question. is that? And I had a lot of questions like this. I never had my own business. I never worked in a in a food industry. I never, I never, I didn't, I didn't do anything of this. So I had to learn as I went and I had all these questions that I wish someone answered for me. Right. Or that I could ask anybody. Um, the first time that we started making money after paying everything off was probably like in month six, after six months, we started making, uh, instead of the $70 the first night, $50 the first night we were making on average about, about 800 to a thousand dollars in four hours. I didn't have to stay Holy till three, four in the morning with the drunk nice. crowd. By did the time I got busted, did you still the service the drunk crowd? Say, sorry, did, did you still service the drunk crowd? Stay around for the drunkies? <laughs> no, no. I, I, in the beginning, we had to deal with all them because we had to get our customers and make ourselves. We saw a guy get shot, you know, on our oh, stand. Geez. The police fights. Uh, 
boyfriends breaking up with their girlfriends. We saw a guy propose to a girl in our taco stand. We saw it all, man. It was it was crazy. It was it was good good stories, good memories. So the health department shuts you down, and then they shut what? us down after two years and a half. Um, and that's when uh, one of my customers, Paul Yu, he uh, he said, Ezra, you got to keep doing this. Uh, let's let's sit down and talk, and let's see if you're interested. We can partner up. And I did. I partnered up with with Paul, who's now like my brother. He's he's my best friend. Um, we we uh, we teamed up and we opened our first brick and mortar right there in Chinatown, quarter mile from the from the original corner. So all of our customers were happy. They they got this kind of food all day long, every day. So Paul, you went from your customer to your partner. Correct. Correct. And you opened a taco stand in Chinatown. Uh, this was a, a brick and mortar. That was our first official brick and mortar after after three years of the first night of me selling tacos. Wow. Yeah, I saved up like like thirty thousand dollars cash. Just like I had like this lot of like hundred dollar bills from from two years, and Paul put in like another sixty five seventy thousand dollars, and that's how much it cost to open up our first legitimate restaurant with all the equipment, all the permits, and everything. You didn't go to a bank and get a loan. No, man. We we self financed it. Wow, that's mad respect right there. Look at you—you you feel that, huh? You like, awesome, man. Self-finance it, and man, that's the—that's the thing. Like, so many people are like, "Oh, I'll get my money from the bank, this and that," but they don't have any skin in the game. Like, I think your mentality changes when you know you have years of hard work and and you know sweat and tears and watching people get shot, people get engaged, people break up, and you have all of that money and you double down on it again, that changes your work ethic and your mentality, right? A hundred percent, man. And you touched on this earlier, how you might go through these uh, moments in your life previously that you don't use subconsciously. You're not thinking about it, but they teach you a lesson as you go. The, 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 the driving job. Yeah. It taught me a lot of things about the city and how to get around and what's what neighborhoods are safe, what are not, how to get by the casino job. It taught me about that, about like you see people walk in there with $50. They walk out of there with $10,000. They just had that mentality like, dude, I'm all in. I'm doubling down. You know, sometimes it doesn't work out, but it taught me a lot that all these different jobs that I had. So when I opened up my taco stand, how to like be fearless, how to have faith in what you're doing. Um, every, every step of the way was, was, was a lesson to be learned to where I am today. Still now I learn stuff all the time. Two questions. First question is what was... What was the biggest life lesson ever learned in your life? Like maybe it was that low point that you're like, something's got to change and you learned or what, what was your big life lesson that you learned throughout this whole journey? Oh man, I would say, I would say on my mission, on my mission, really? it was the first time man, where, where I was, I was shaken up and I, and I, and a lot of things were opened up to me, my, in my eyes, in my life. And it, it, it changed me completely. What happened? So I, I grew up LDS. Yeah, I grew up Mormon. Um, and uh, you, you, you're raised just thinking like, okay, this is a true church. This is the Book of Mormon's true. This is what we do. You're like, okay, yeah, it was, I guess that's what we got to do, right? So then I, I go on to my mission. The very first night, I was scared to death, man. I was like, wow, I'm going to spend two years of my life, prime years, you know, 19 to 21. Well, all my friends are going to college, partying and doing all the cool, fun stuff. I'm going to spend two years of my life dedicating myself to, to God that I never met. I never seen uh, preach about the book of Mormon, uh, which, you know, about Joseph Smith and all these things that we learned. Like, dude, I'm not sure, man. Like, I, I don't know if this is a place like I, I, I need to be, or I'm not even sure if it's really true. Like my parents say it's true and everybody says it's true in church, but I don't know, man. Like I started to doubt and I was scared for my life, man. So I remember I got on my knees, you know, and, and I prayed like I never prayed before, like the, the biggest intent ever. And I was crying just because I was pleading to God, like, like, I don't know if this is where I should be. And, and please let me know. And that's where I, 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 I came this huge answer, man. Like the spirit felt so strong and, and I saw everything clearly. And, and literally, like I heard him in my, in my ears just saying, Ezra, this is where I need you to be. And it's, it's true, you know, and, and you have to give it your all and, and you will be blessed because of it. So that was the first time I really heard God or heard the Lord and, and felt his spirit. And from there on, man, I wasn't scared about anything. I just, I just 
you know, went on and just took day by day and happy and enjoy life and just try to share that with other people. So that, I mean, that's a powerful question that I always ask people is like, how do you know that God's real? You know, did, is it because your parents told you or what did God do for you? Did you have an experience? And uh, my pastor says a man with an experience is never at the mercy with a man that has an argument. And you had an experience like no one can take that away from you. It doesn't matter who doubts like you're like, no, nope, I was there and God spoke <laughs> yeah, to me. Like, exactly so it doesn't right. really matter what anyone else says. My question to you would be like, OK, God, the Holy Spirit definitely visited you in that moment. Do you think it's because it's a Mormon thing or a religious thing? Or do you think it's just because God wants to talk to his kids and he uses the Holy Spirit to do that? You know, because I feel like, you know, for me, like so many different religions wrap around God where God just wants to love his kids. Right. Like and talk oh, to us and we I matter more, man. I couldn't agree more, man. A million percent. I, I think uh, the, the, the subject of religion, I think it's a subject, but like we all come from the same place, man. And, and, and God loves us equally, you know? And, and like you said, like, he wants to talk to his children. Think about your immediate parents and your siblings. Like, I know my parents get pretty upset when I don't call them, like, after three, four days. And they're like, son, we miss you. Like, dude, we, we love you. And like, how you been? Like, please call us, you know? Imagine God, you know? Like, he, he wants to hear from us. He wants to guide us. He wants to show us his love through our trials and through tribulations sometimes. But it's for, all, our, for our well-being regardless of what you believe in in church uh if you, even if you go to church or not if you believe in something else he still loves you the same you right. know and the thing too that you know and i have my son's got a you know bible study with his friends and stuff and, and the one thing is they feel like when they do screw up they feel so guilty that they kind of run away from god and not to him because they're like oh well you know god's not going to hear my prayer and it's interesting that that happened to you and then it wasn't till after that happened that you did go to that dark place where you were in the casinos and you kind of walked away from God. So it's it's still possible to have these experience, walk away from God, but he's always calling us back because look at you now, right? I mean, your your relationship with the Lord's probably never been stronger, right? Yeah, yo, a lot better, man. Oh, yeah, a hundred times. Tell me about, um, that was the other thing I want to ask you, your, your big break. So now back to your story is... You and Paul just opened this brick and mortar in Chinatown. When did you know, like, oh, dude, we have something. Like, this is going to be huge, and we need to open another one and another one. Like, what was your big break? Uh, you know, uh, man, it, it's that's a tough one because I don't know if it's wrong on my end. But, like, I feel like I, I, I'm still looking for that big break. It, it's, 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 I don't know if it's a bad thing or if it's me just – it's not greediness at all. But I feel like there's life is just, you know, the, the sky's the limit. So you're always continually trying to be better and, and grow. Um, as far as like the actual restaurant goes, I've always enjoyed it, man. I enjoyed it from selling tacos on the street. Like I love being there, you know, and serving people and, and just not having a, a food permit and just enjoying people's um, experience eating my food to when I to now that I have all these restaurants and do like stuff on TV sometimes. I enjoy every bit of it, man. The trials, the difficult times, it's the break. It's like a small little breaks that I, that I, I small little victories that, that I really enjoy, man. But a big break where you just say, okay, this is it. I felt like that when I opened, when I, I filled my first taco, I felt a break. Yeah. The first guy that purchased my taco to me, like, dude, he liked it. And, and he came back the next day. And that was a big break for me already. It's funny to hear you say, I don't think I have my big break now because you own how you own and you're partner with how many restaurants right now? So I have different partners for different concepts, but we we I, I'm part of nine concepts. So you own or are a part of nine separate concepts, and you're on one of the hottest food shows on Netflix called The Final Table. It's in its second season, and yet you still haven't got your big break. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Tell us about the final table on Netflix, because it's big, man. That was that was a life changing experience, man. Just like all the other smaller victories, all the other smaller things I've done, it it, it all changed my life. Um, working with such talented chefs, I was scared for my life. I I was actually against the show when the producers reached out to me. I, I said, you know what? I'm sorry, I'm not the right guy for the show. I make some good tacos and, and I and I know my salsas and I know my tortillas and my moles and my enchiladas. Yeah, 
but I can compete with Michelin star chefs from around the world, studied in France and Japan. And blah, blah, blah. I, I just, I wasn't confident, man, to that level. And a friend of mine, she was a, a friend of the producer. And they told her like, you have to convince Ezra, we need him for the show. So she convinced me, she said, Ezra, this is going to change your life. Think about your family. Think about your friends. Think about the people that look up to you. And I said, you know what? You're right. There's a million people, even more chefs in the world that would kill to have an opportunity like this. And I'm saying no to it. I have to do it. You know, not everybody gets a chance like this. So I'm going to go and give it my all and, and hope for the best. And that's when I went in uh, thinking this way with that attitude. And yeah, like I made it, I was uh, one of the semifinalists on the show. Did you love it? Are you glad you did it? Oh, a hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. It was the best decision I ever made. It opened so many doors for me because of that. A lot of the restaurants uh, I was able to open because of that. The, the reach I had with people that, that are looking for opportunities. I've employed a lot of people, uh, so many, so many people, you know, that, that I was able to reach because of this show. Um, so from, from there, you, you told me a couple weeks ago you were filming something else. Was that this or are you filming something new? No, this is something else. This is some, this is something for, uh, I, I guess I can't talk about it, but it's, it's for a cooking show, a really fun one. And this should be airing in April. Is it gonna is it gonna be on cable? Is it gonna be on Netflix? Is it gonna be on NBC? It's gonna be on, I believe, Food Network and Discovery Plus. Woo! Yeah, so I'm excited. This was fun. It was a fun, fun production. Spoiler alert. Okay, so what can you tell us about the show? <laughs> I can say that it's gonna be very fun. You must watch it and you will enjoy it absolutely. Because people can follow you on Instagram and there's a, I watched a couple videos where you're with some of the other chefs. You're like, we're filming, we're on the set. So yeah, we, know yeah, you're, yeah. <laughs> we know you're in production with something. Something's going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about, so tell me about your family now. The, y'all, you, you're back in Utah with the family, mom and dad, wife and kids, brothers and sisters, everyone's there. So uh, my parents are still in Baja, actually, this, this same small town where I grew up in Calexico. They're still there, mom and dad. Uh, I moved up here with my with my media family because of the whole uh, COVID thing in LA. Um, we wanted we needed more space, and we came here just to check out some of the national parks early in the year last year, and we fell in love with it, man. Uh, the space, beautiful houses, the bank for the dollar, and the place Crazy. like Utah. It's insane. Dude, everyone everyone's leaving Cali, bro. I left Cali five years ago for Tennessee, and I still love Cali. I, I love the way Cali was in the eighties and nineties when I grew up there, but man, they've politicians have really screwed it up and it bums me out. It really bums me out. So I'm glad that you and your family are happy. Let me ask you this. This is, I'm curious. So how often are your parents able to come uh, visit you here? Do they ever, is it not in the cards for them? Do they not yeah, like yeah. they come, I would say uh, three times a year. I would say I've only been here for, for four months, but they visit my siblings. My siblings have been here for six, seven years. They come about three times a year hang out for a week. My mom stays a little bit longer. Um, yeah, so we see them on a regular basis. I was in LA prior to this, and I just drive down four hours to visit my parents once a month at least. We're pretty close. So 2020 had to be a terrible year for, you know, your restaurants in California, right? Is it getting better? You know what? It was it was extremely difficult, just like a lot of my, a lot of my colleagues. Uh, it was the most difficult year. It was very hard, and and stressful, but I saw so many blessings come out of this, man. Like really, insane like blessings. Like, well, because of work, you know, I travel like four or five months, six months out of the year sometimes, and I don't see my family for that long. Um, I'm I I had a restaurant in India. I was there for a year. I, the restaurants in Hong Kong. I'm there throughout the year, five six months. So because everything was uh, put on hold, I really got to stay home. Um, and I and I've been hanging out with my kids. You know, they're preteens. And it's a very important age in their life where I need to be there. And if it wasn't for this, like I would still be going into rounds and missing a lot of important moments in their life. That's awesome. What's one of the biggest things that, you know, with what you've been through that you want to instill in your kids? Uh, to have faith, to have faith, to, to, to be happy, look for happiness in life. Don't look for money. Don't look for, for, uh, for riches or for, for, for status, look for joy and look for happiness, man. And if you focus on that, um it changes everything 
I bet you, and I tell that, you know, that's great advice. I say that to my kids a lot too. Like you look at you now, uh, you're on Netflix, you got a new show coming out, nine different restaurant concepts that you're a part of. Would you say some of your happiest times was selling those tacos out of the back of your car when you weren't making any money? Till this day, man. It's, it's, I always tell the story. It's funny that you mentioned that. It's, it's, that was my favorite restaurant, the taco stand out of all the restaurants. How come? Because, because I was so new at it, man. It was exciting because, because I was a cook, the taquero. I was a busser. I was a, the, the server. Like you come into my stand and it's your turn. I would greet you with a big smile. I was so grateful that you're buying a taco from me. And, and then I talk to you, how are you doing? Well, I make your food. I get to meet my customer. And then I make your food in front of you, serve it, watch you enjoy it. It was everything like in, in a small moment, man, you know, and, and that's, that's where I came from. That's the culture I was raised up on. And just to share with people face to face, man, that, that with the restaurants, you have servers, you're in the back, you're running around, you know, taking calls and PR, blah, blah, blah. That taco stand was like the purest form of service and just just my craft being explained and shared with others with love man you're the man i really hope i can get together with you one day and and just chill with you and enjoy your beautiful hands that make the best taco in the world i will you make are. you the best taco i'm capable of just for you man. <laughs> it's the best taco in the world because it's you know it's mexicali it's you and it's jesus all wrapped up in the thank one. you man oh, and a tortilla <laughs> beautiful fluffy tortilla man you are the man I'm glad we're friends now. How can people follow you? Where can they find you? At? And then, like, what's what are you most excited about right now? I am excited, man, um, to do something in Utah. I think it's it's missing uh, true Mexican food here in Utah. I think it, it's people are hungry; they're ready for it. And with all the history I have and the knowledge I've had and gained along the years, I think it's time for something good in Utah to happen I'm, I'm excited to travel again visit the restaurants in asia through the restaurants that we have now i haven't even seen them i only seen them on videos on whatsapp on emails i never stepped into them so i'm excited to see what, what my what my guys have created in, in asia that's so awesome man and then people can follow you personally on instagram at estras 8a it's e-s-d-r-a-s 8 the number eight a is an apple um, talk to me real quick about how are you, how are you affiliated with Buzzfeed Tasty? Because y'all have just under 40 million followers and I mean, everybody follows Buzzfeed Tasty. How are you affiliated with that? Yeah, it's such a, such a great team there at Buzzfeed, man. They reached out, uh, about a year and a half ago. They're like, chef, we like your content. We like what you do. We like your personality. We would uh, like to know if you're interested in being part of the team and doing some content for Tasty. And of course, I was I was more than happy to, man. I'm a big fan of Tasty. I love what they do. Um, and it's just a perfect platform to share passion, food, and just good people, you know? That's awesome, man. So you are the man. You can Everyone can see you on the final table on Netflix and then this secret show you got coming out on the show. Food Network and uh, Discovery Plus, right? But the most exciting part about it actually is I'm starting my YouTube channel very, very soon. I partnered up with some amazing, talented individuals who uh, who done so much stuff for Hollywood and we're producing our, our first uh, show on YouTube. So it's going to be called The Taste of Life with Chef Ezra Sotroa. So be nice. on the lookout. So what do you, absolutely. And then what are you going to do? Like what's the, what's the show going to be about? The channel going to be about? So the, the pretty much the taste of life, just like, like the title, um, I'm going to first episode we're producing it right now. It's about my story, who I am, where I come from, the struggle of, of, of starting a taco stand, working in a casino, the big dream. And then we're going to go to the film at the taco stand film, possibly in the casino. And then this is a story where it all began. And then from there on, we're just, I'm going to share recipes we're going to go to the restaurants, behind the scenes. We're going to do dinner collaborations, travel around the world, different countries, and talk about culture, food, uh, religion, people, politics, uh, everything, man. What makes life beautiful when it oh, comes snap. to... Oh, snap. You like... Are you, are, you, are you a political guy? You're into politics? I'm not, but I'm always welcome <laughs> to talk about the little that I know. <laughs> I will talk about anything, whatever you want, man. With that, I want to talk about you coming to Nashville and making a 
a Nashville hot chicken taco. So take what you know, mix with the Nashville culture, and make the perfect Nashville hot chicken taco. Ooh, that sounds lovely, man. I will be there, man. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody. This is Ezra, uh, Ezra Ochoa, and you can follow him once again all over social media. Check him out on Instagram, E-S-D-R-A-S-8-A. You'll see the blue check mark. He is the man, the myth, the legend. Nine restaurants, Netflix show, something coming out. And have you enjoyed coming on Level Up, man? Thank you so much for coming. So much, man. So much. Highlight of the year, bro. Thank you for having me, Matt. You are the man. I appreciate you. And for those of you listening or watching, please make sure you like. Please make sure you subscribe, share, and rate us. We are the fastest growing podcast in 2021. We are so proud of that. And like you now, Eli, how many countries are we in? Uh, what did we say, 10? We're in 10 countries. Something like that. Let's yeah, go. I mean, we're, we're spreading. After this one airs, too, Ezras is going to bring in his, yep. you know, his people. Yep. So we're getting it done. You are the man. Thank you so much. The Taco King was here with us today. This has been another edition of Level Up. Thank you so much.